Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of Opera After Dark. Do you know this music? Mm-hmm. You know? No, I, I do not. There's this one I know that aria. One aria. Oh. It's so beautiful. What's the aria called? Yavas Lublu. Which is my terrible, terrible Russian accent. What? But that's the only thing I know how to say in Russian. It means I love you. Oh. Mm-hmm. That's really nice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, today we're talking about an opera that I know pretty much nothing about. Same. Oh. Okay. <laughs> and neither does Naomi, so that's it, folks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, now, I know something about this opera. You never know what we're talking about. It's funny because the man who wrote this opera, we're talking about Queen of Spades. By Tchaikovsky. Also and known as Peak Dom. Peak Dom. Peak Dom. Um, it's funny because Eugen and Yegin is one of my favorite operas of all time. And it's also written by Tchaikovsky. And yet I know next to nothing about this opera. Huh. Mm. And you've not, I mean, you've not seen it, I'd wager. I have not seen it, no. Ah, so it could be like, what if it's your new favorite opera? I mean... I live in hope every day. Wouldn't that be nice? <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> that, I'll, that I'll experience my new favorite opera. There you go. It's the dream. No, I'm I'm assuming I'm going to love it. Yeah. I love Tchaikovsky, so why not? I loved, you know, Iolanta. I feel like there's going to be some parts of this that you are going to really enjoy. It's going to be super Onyegany. I know there's a ghost in it, right? There is a ghost in oh, it. Oh, man. Yes. I just feel like, like, actually, and I was thinking about this yesterday as I was watching it, knowing that we were going to talk about it today, and I thought to myself, there are parts of this opera that Kyle would really like, and mm. there are parts of this opera that Elspeth would really like, but for, like, totally different reasons. Are they the same parts? Um, No. <laughs> I don't think I don't. They're the complete so opposite parts. There's there zero overlap. There is at overlap. least one part that I think people. you would both really enjoy. <laughs> okay. Um, but again, like for different reasons. Okay. But anyway, like yes. oh, oh, never mind. I'm not going to dig myself into a hole <laughs> this this early on. This early on, probably smart. So yeah. I'm assuming we're not going to talk that much about Tchaikovsky. If you don't know anything about him. We have a early episode in season is season one, right? I think it was season two. No, season two. Ooh, excuse me. Um, where we talk <laughs> all about the life and times of Tchaikovsky, which weren't great right. and pretty sad. A little sad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this opera actually was written toward the very end of his life, mm-hmm. and so by the time he writes this opera, he's a very well established composer. He's like well revered in Russia. But his personal life was becoming 
perhaps more and more public. Mm-hmm. And so it was causing some problems for him. Um, in that episode where we talk all about his life, we talk about Nadezka von Meck, who was this like wealthy widow of a railroad tycoon. And she and Tchaikovsky became epic pen pals. She funded him as a patron for many, many years, but the two of them never met in person. And around the time that he wrote this opera, shortly before he started working on it, she, like, cut off communication with him, cut off financial support, and also, like, stopped writing him letters. Mm -hmm. And that was really hard for him because she was probably his closest friend in terms of, like, a person he confided in. And also there was a lot of rumors about his sexuality that were making their ways around town that were causing him more and more anxiety and then um shortly after he finishes this opera he ends up dying and the reason why he died or the cause of death is pretty mysterious and unknown and so we talk about in that episode the theory that there that perhaps he committed suicide there's a theory that he drank water that was contaminated and that he died of cholera there was you know a bunch of theories there's also a theory that like a bunch of students got together and like conspired to kill him and things like that what? so yeah there's something about like um a group of students at i can't remember exactly where but anyway there is like a conspiracy murder theory um, or assassination theory out there okay we don't talk about that in that episode but i came across no, it in my I, reading yeah. this week <laughs> Just why? Yes. But the the most common or kind of popular accepted theory is that um, in a way that is perhaps unknown to us, he did ultimately commit suicide. But nobody knows for sure. But a lot of people talk about how there's a lot of death in the Queen of Spades as we're going to... Wait, more than a normal opera? Uh, kind of. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And Are we so talking there's opera a lot of death or... or like Hamlet amount of death. death. There's like a Hamlet amount of death. Oh, so there's only one man standing at the end. (laughs) Or close. (laughs) Actually, there's a lot of men standing at the end. We'll get get to that. But only one named man standing at the end. Of the main characters, like very few actually make it out alive. And so there is a lot of talk about how you can see Tchaikovsky's kind of obsession with death coming through Mm -hmm. in this opera and apparently a lot of his friends also died like leading up to this and he lived in constant fear of his own death and so death is a a, a common theme here. Great. Let's dive right into it. (laughs) Yes. How fun. (laughs) Yes. Um, So just a few words about the story itself. Um, This was an opera that in a lot of ways Tchaikovsky was never actually meant to write. His brother was um, working on the libretto and it was actually being created for another composer and it was offered to Tchaikovsky two or three times, like the commission for it, but he was always busy with other projects and so he kept turning it down. And then this other, so this other composer was brought on to write it, um, Klenovsky, and my Russian is also not great, so I might be pronouncing things horribly inaccurately. Again, something that people on the internet have told us many times, <laughs> and I'm sorry. There, there has I'm to be things for people to tell us about on the internet. I mean, we, that's what that's life true. is. That's what the internet's all about. 
So Klenovsky is working on this opera, but apparently he is progressing extremely slowly mm-hmm. and to the point where it just, like, wasn't going to happen. And so eventually Tchaikovsky ends up taking over the project. <laughs> Fine. And, do it. Jeez. Right. Right. It's just taking you so long. I can't take it. <laughs> um, and so around this time that he takes on this commission... He also kind of got word from his wife, who they had been living in, like, an estranged relationship for many years at that point, that she either wanted to reconcile or, like, she wanted some kind of, like, official closure between the two of them. Anyway, there was some communication that caused him great anxiety, and he fled to Italy, and he wrote this opera in, like, a frenzy of 44 days. Whoa. Okay. and That's fast. It's it's not Handel fast, but it's fast. It's fast. And it's not Rossini fast. <laughs> not Rossini fast, but it's fast. And he's exchanging a lot of letters with his brother around this time. Um, but the loss of several friends leading up to this, plus this anxiety of this complicated relationship with his wife and being cut off from Nadezka von Meck and then his own death shortly after this, it's all like bound up in everyone trying to figure out what the Queen of Spades means. Mm-hmm. Okay. So just keep that in mind as we go through the plot. Okay. It's based on a Pushkin uh, play. Isn't everything. <laughs> I think I think it's a play. Wait, hold on a second. Okay, so it's not a Pushkin play. It's a Pushkin novella. And it's actually a really short story. And so when this opera made its premiere, even though it was a major hit, like it's basically been instantly successful since it had its world premiere. One of the big criticisms is that Tchaikovsky and his brother, the librettist, really his brother, the librettist, like dramatically expanded this story and kind of elaborated on what Pushkin had written. Mm -hmm. And some scholars have said, well, if they didn't do that, it would have been like a short one act, kind of like Iolanta. And they wanted to make it into this full kind of multi-act opera. And so there are scenes in the in the opera and kind of an elaborated storyline and some of the character trajectories are a little bit different than the source material and also some of their relationships are a little bit different like how they're related to each other and all of that was so that they could have a more complex storyline to work with gotcha um so yes if you're reading the original and it's a little bit different from the opera that's why they that came to be so there are a lot of characters in this opera um a lot of people and the cast list is huge and there's also a big chorus there's also one of elspeth's i would say least favorite aspects of opera production kids yes <laughs> there's a, a the children's children. chorus <laughs> the children yes so which do you dislike more children or puppets oh it's the children definitely I love puppets. Right, right, right. I'm sorry. I ju- it's the classic Madama Butterfly. I always confuse it. Ah, uh, yes. I love a puppet. Me All too. right, so it's it's a huge, it's huge, it's a huge thing. Yeah. Um, so we're going to start at the top. There are some really well-known musical moments in this, but for the most part, it's largely like if you go see Queen of Spades, unless you're a huge Tchaikovsky fan and you've intentionally sought it out, you probably have never heard most of the music for this opera, even though a lot of people say it's like one of his greatest scores ever. Mm -hmm. And he really fuses a lot of things 
together in it a lot of influences. So there are moments that sound extremely Mozartian in the opera. There are moments that are clearly being drawn from like folk music and folk dance. There are moments that have a heavy religious sound. So if you're familiar with like Russian church music, it's very evocative of that. Um, There are some like super incredibly romantic, like huge, almost Wagnerian sounding orchestration moments. So it's quite a mixture of all of these influences that kind of collided with Tchaikovsky at the end of the century because this was written in and around 1890. So it's actually not that far away from when Puccini starts composing with some amount of success. And a lot of Wagner stuff has happened by this point. Like all of Wagner has happened already. So there's quite a bit that he's drawing from and kind of alluding to at different moments. So we would call this late romantic still? Definitely late romantic, yes. Um, And even though it draws on this kind of wide panorama of stylistic influences, and even though it's all being written and composed after Wagner, it still has a very traditional number opera structure. So there are clean cut kind of beginning and ends of scenes, also beginning and ends of arias or numbers in the opera. So in that way, it follows a pretty traditional structure, even though some of the musical language is quite innovative and the fusion of influences is considered pretty innovative as well. So, act one. Curtain? Scene one, curtain rises. So does this take place (laughs) in like 1890 when it was written? Or no? Oh, no. Did I you? You stumped me. Stumped. That... Already. First question. Stumped. Well, Catherine the Great makes an appearance in this opera. Uh, Naomi, I do not know <laughs> <laughs> the dates for Catherine the Great. Let us fact check. I have not watched the HBO miniseries, although Shame. it looks campy and great fun. I haven't watched it either, I do which love, is unusual I do for Helen me. Helen Mirren. The, well, the Pushkin play was not written in 1890 it was written so the pushkin play what that the play that's not a play the novella the pushkin novella was written in 1834 or first published in 1834 so it was inspired the character of the old countess was inspired actually by a real person in history the princess natalia petrovna golitsinia um, and she was actually like a lady in waiting. <laughs> I'm just ruining your night. <laughs> <laughs> you I asked are. you a question that you don't really answer to, and I made you pronounce a bunch of Russian names. <laughs> <laughs> so the real person it's based on lived from 1741 to 1838. Oh, right. wow. So it, like, I would say the story was like contemporary of when Pushkin wrote it. So Pushkin okay, was right? very so... prompt with writing this. Banged it out. Right. And it was set in the reign of Catherine the Great. She makes an appearance in the opera. So we'll say 19th century. Like Yes. Yeah. Early 19th century. Early middle. <laughs> not not middle. Century. Early. Fully <laughs> full century. on early 19th century. Full on early. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sorry. Curtain. <laughs> curtain. So when the curtain rises, we kind of are introduced to a bunch of almost like the people at large in the opera. There's governesses, there's wet nurses, there's children. Wait, where does it take place? (laughs) Somewhere in Russia. (laughs) (laughs) 
St. Petersburg, I would assume. I'm just you asking. Heard? There's a rumor in St. Petersburg. So the curtain opens, and then everyone in the street is like, <laughs> Yes, and actually, Tchaikovsky's favorite opera, I did not know this, was apparently Carmen. And so he modeled okay. this scene of the opening kind of of how Carmen opens, where you're, like, introduced to the soldiers and all, like, the village people in mm-hmm. Seville. So he does this, but for Russia. Okay. okay. Mm. The peasants of Russia. Yes. Yeah, so there's soldiers, there's children, there's, you know, governesses and caretakers and all kinds of people. And then we're introduced to... Um, a few of the officers in the army, the kind of the army and the officers make up a kind of constant group of people in this particular work. And so they're discussing their friend Herman um, because Herman has been gambling quite a bit mm. um, and they're a little bit worried about him. Um, and it's a little bit strange because he like goes to the gambling table every single night, but he never actually bets or plays. So he just stands there. <laughs> He, like, observes, almost like he's waiting for his perfect moment to start participating, but he doesn't actually make a move. Okay. So, so they, they talk about this kind really of odd a, behavior. Either he really has a problem or he has great control over his gambling addiction. Yes. He's like, great I, I just want to be around it. I'm never going to play. I just want to be around right. it. Right. Right. Then Count Tomsky enters, and he's there with... Herman and he's basically like Herman, buddy. Herman. Herman. <laughs> I think in like pronouncing it really properly, you'd be like Herman. That sounds so German. No, I want to call him Herman though. Herman. Okay. Yeah. Herm. So he's he's Herms. like Herm, buddy. What's wrong with you lately? You're so blue. You're always so depressed. Like, what's your deal? And then Herman is like, you know what? I've fallen in love. Ooh. I saw this woman. She's the most beautiful woman I've ever seen. She's my everything. I want to run away, marry her, but I don't know who she is or what her name is. I just saw her from afar. Oh. Okay. And so he sings this aria that basically the sentiment of the aria is, I don't even know her name, Uh but I love her. This sounds like a musical. This could be a very amusing musical. I'm just going to put that on record. Okay. Despite the amount of death. You'll see why. Okay. So then they kind of wander off and then... Prince Yaletsky wanders in and he's beaming. He's extremely happy. And you can see that like Herm is a little bit annoyed about just how happy Prince Yaletsky is. There's a bit of, there's a bit of jealousy there. Um, And so they're talking and Prince Yaletsky is like, buddy, I got engaged. And so Herman is like, good for you. I'm so happy for you, but so sad for myself because my beloved, I still don't know her name. Then. I see where this is going. Yes. (laughs) So then the countess enters. She's going to be a very important figure in this story. The countess enters with her granddaughter, Lisa. Okay, Yeletsky rushes over to greet them because Lisa is Yeletsky's fiance. Mm-hmm. 
She's beautiful. She's gorgeous. And poor Herman turns around and realizes that the object of his hopeless, obsessive affection is actually the fiance of Prince Yeletsky. Of course. Dun, 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 dun. There's only one woman yeah. in St. Petersburg. <laughs> <laughs> if, if I saw it coming, then you know it's obvious. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so Herman is staring intently at Lisa, but he's also like weirdly staring at her grandmother as well. And he kind of mentions how he like immediately doesn't like this woman. Um, and she's this awful old countess. And he makes a lot of snap judgments. <laughs> yes. And then Yeletsky, Prince Yeletsky, sees that Lisa is, you know, a little bit thrown off by all of this. And so there's this kind of quintet that p- kind of in a very Mozartian way, everybody is singing their own feelings at that moment mm-hmm. and expressing individual thoughts, but it all sounds beautiful. All, and it kind of, in a nutshell, encapsulates the very complicated relationship of all of these people and their mm-hmm. feelings. Okay. So then, in order to try and, like, cheer things up, especially cheer up Herman, who's, like, in this horrible mood and intensely staring, Tomsky's like, I got a really good story for you. And especially since Herman seems to be obsessed with gambling, he's like, you see that countess over there. She actually has this incredible secret where apparently she knows this magical combination of three cards that will always make you win in gambling. And apparently she learned it a long time ago when she was in Paris and she was like beautiful and kind of the belle of the ball. And it was this like mystical secret that she has carried with her and um, will not reveal to anybody. And so Herman overhears this and he gets even more agitated. And then his friends say that kind of, it's almost like a ghost story where they're like, the prophecy is that the countess has only revealed the secret of what these cards are twice in her life. And the third person that she reveals it to uh, will be the person who kills her. Ooh. Okay. So then Herman's like, I want to kill her. (laughs) Right. (laughs) He doesn't say that. Um, But then a thunderstorm breaks out so of course kind of like symbolic for the turmoil that is brewing Mm -hmm. and all run for cover leaving Herman alone on stage he's kind of oblivious it's like he doesn't even realize the storm is happening and Herman is vowing in front of the whole audience while he's alone on stage that not only will he win Lisa from Prince Zieletsky but the way he's going to win her is by learning the secret (laughs) of the cards way to just tie it all together the hero of this story because he's the tenor right he is the tenor yes okay can we say he's a hero i'm not sure i just don't know if the opera paints him in a favorable light or not i'm gonna say no okay i don't think it does all right so curtain curtain i do think that this is like the one opera where the baritone is actually painted as the better guy yeah he also gets the better aria Oh, but doesn't get the girl. Of course not. Oh, well. (laughs) Okay. So, curtain. Curtain up. Curtain up on act one, scene two. Lisa's left alone in her room and she kind of goes to the balcony and she has this big aria where she expresses the idea that she's a, a bride, like going to get married in just a few days and she should be so happy because her 
bridegroom or her intended is a prince and he's, you know, a good man and wonderful. And despite the fact that literally she should be extremely happy, all she feels is ambivalence about this situation. Mm. And instead, she is like the one thing that causes her a kind of spark of feeling is the intensity that she experienced with this this stranger, this man that was staring at her. And right at that moment where she like admits that (laughs) he comes in from the balcony. So she like sings this and turns around and he's just there. And the great thing about this opera is the music is like so reactive in a dramatic sense (laughs) that every dramatic thing that happens, the music just amplifies it like a hundredfold. And so there's this great, huge dramatic chord when she turns around and he just like appears through the balcony. (laughs) the balcony door is it a dramatic like a love chord or dramatic like a scary chord oh no it's like fate has come for you it's like yeah it is not good (laughs) all right um and so she's obviously surprised because he just like leaps out of the shadows of the balcony and the dramatic tension begins to build and this I thought was when I was watching this it made me like super uncomfortable because he's basically saying to her I've come to say goodbye um goodbye yes because they never he, even met I, <laughs> <laughs> well I guess Hello? they didn't meet my mistake goodbye. I they mean they meet- met through intense staring right. but um he said I've come to say goodbye because your heart belongs to another or your future is betrothed to another and I can't live without you. And so I'm going to kill myself because I can't be with you. And he actually like pulls out a gun and he's like, you know. Is there any point in their relationship where he's like, hello, my name is (laughs) (laughs) You're Lisa, right? Okay. (laughs) There there must be because I think in that initial meeting when he's like. There's like like a round of introductions. Yeah, there's a round of introductions. So they do, you know, meet each (laughs) other. (laughs) all right so he's gonna kill himself right so he's like being extremely emotionally manipulative because he's like i'm i can't live without you and i'm i'm gonna just shoot myself Mm. um Mm -hmm. and she's she's saying you have to leave you have to leave you can't be here you can't be found with me in my bedroom um and then and then there's a knock at at the door essentially and and the countess is like what is that I hear going on in there? Lisa, mm-hmm. are you talking to somebody? And um, at that moment, Herman, he like runs and hides. But as he's like overhearing this, he be- starts to become obsessed with this prophecy that Tomsky told him about the cards and the countess knowing the secret. Mm-hmm. And then, so they managed not to get caught. But at the end of the scene, Herman is be kind of become in planted with this obsession with the countess in these cards and at that moment um right as he's basically like 
he's like, I can't live without you. I'm going to kill myself. Then Lisa, instead of letting him like leave and leap off the balcony is like, no, wait. And there's this big dramatic buildup. And she's like, I am yours forever. And, and then, so in at least the production that I watched uh, a week or two ago, they, there's this huge dramatic music and it's them just like, you know, slowly walking toward the bed and the curtain falls is like stuff is going down on the bed between the two of them. Oh my. Okay. Because that's what everybody so, wants is the creeper stalker guy. Yeah. Yeah. That that Who was breaks the thing. into her room at night. That was the one thing in this opera that I had a really hard time getting behind was like becoming invested in Lisa and Herman's love because I just felt like they don't know each other. Mm-hmm. Like they, There's no reason for them to become well, so in love. Does he love? I'm assuming she is young enough to do something this stupid but he it seems like he saw her and was like that chick's hot and then he found out about this thing with his grandma her grandma she's her grandmother right yeah (laughs) we would assume you would assume yeah and was like also i'm gonna get all this money and kill this old woman well i feel like he's just doubling down because he's like i'm gonna do this I mean, I think the two obsessions become intertwined with him, but it is a little bit unbelievable to me that the, that those two things become so intertwined. Like, it seems like he's kind of, on the one hand, really loves Lisa with a kind of, like, love at first sight obsession. And on the other hand, he's obsessed with this secret. And, and the two become enmeshed because it's her grandmother and because he feels like learning the secret will make him a rich man, which means that, like, he can steal Lisa away from the prince, right? Okay, sure, whatever. But it's pretty, like, it is pretty tenuous. And, yes, and this actually becomes a big problem between the two of them. Relationship struggles Ooh. ahead. <laughs> yes. Yeah, this is really right. becoming complicated. It doesn't complicated go swimmingly? You <laughs> no. want to kill my grandma, you know? Right. So when they okay, jump so into bed, now, is that the end of Act 1? End of Act 1. Okay, mm-hmm. curtain. Yeah. Act two, there is a masquerade ball, Mm -hmm. um, lots of big dresses. Uh, This is the moment where Prince Yaletsky enters with Lisa and they are, you know, together because they are betrothed. But he notices that she is extremely despondent. And Mm. so he tries to basically cheer her up and make her believe that his feelings are sincere. And this is where he sings the beautiful, gorgeous, amazing aria why don't we take a small pause? Yes. And let's listen to a little bit of Dmitry Vorostovsky singing this aria. Yes. And actually, this role, I believe, is the role he made his Met debut in. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> Oh. 
Does it cheer her up? It does not cheer her up. It does not help. Right. Sadly. Of course not. That's so pretty. I know. It's so gorgeous. I don't see how it couldn't help, but it doesn't help. And instead, Lisa kind of secretly passes a note to Herman asking for a secret rendezvous because she's very troubled and she really needs to speak with him. And <laughs> yes. And then finally, Lisa is able to get a moment alone with Herman and she says to him, I need to meet you tomorrow night. Um, please come to my grandmother's room at this time. I'll I'll tell you how to get there. Um, and then as this is happening, where she's trying to give him instructions, uh, we have this big entrance of Catherine the Great, uh, the Tsaritsa of the moment. So there's this big like royal th- moment where everybody's singing and praising her. And as I was watching it, I thought to myself, this must have been this just this way of Tchaikovsky like completely winning over the -hmm. people because Catherine the Great doesn't really have much to do with this whole story but she gets a whole moment where she enters kind of walks around the room and then leaves scene two we are in the bedroom the countess's bedroom the countess's bedroom Mm -hmm. yes Herman who is has made his way into the room (laughs) he's so good at that (laughs) It's just he's, like entering everyone's bedroom willy-nilly. Yes. He sees the countess and he just starts like advancing upon her kind of like like a tiger on the prowl. And he's like, tell me the secret. Tell me the secret of these cards. And he's threatening her. He shows her the revolver like to try and scare her into telling him. But the countess is so freaked out, rightly so, by this crazy man who's entered her room that she actually dies of fright. Like she has like a heart attack and dies. Dude. Before she can reveal the secret or if she was ever going to, who knows, but she has a heart attack and dies. Then Lisa enters. (laughs) Of course. Right. And so it's kind of like an, what just happened? She's like, did you just murder my grandmother? <laughs> and it was an and accident. And then Herman's like, no, no, it was totally like, that has nothing to do with this. I'm I, like, this is not what happened. I'm sorry. And um, she's horrified. And then she starts to see that perhaps the only reason Herman came there at all that night was not actually to meet her, but to try and find out the secret <sighs> of the card. So she's like, you don't care about me. You only care about this secret. And, 
um, get like you have to leave, like leave me alone, get out of here, and and she's just like left there with her her dying grandmother, kind of rejecting Herman, because um, he rushes out in despair because he basically has lost Lisa's trust and the woman that had the secret that he wanted is now dead. So, curtain. Wow, that sounds uh, like the end, dun, dun. the end of an act. It is the end oh, of an act. Oh, three acts. Good job. So, yes. body count one. One. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so far. So, act three. We are in the barracks where Herman is trying to sleep. He can't sleep because he's obsessed with thoughts of the Countess, his, like, sort of accidental murder of her. And also, he got a letter, another note from Lisa. And Lisa basically says meet me at midnight um, on this bridge and I really need to talk to you and um, if you if you love me at all you will come and you will meet me. Man she's all about but, the rendezvous. Yes. Right. She's in insisting dark, that he meet her at midnight and if he doesn't show up she will assume the worst that he does not care about her. Okay. Then uh, the whole kind of tone of the music changes and like this really spooky music starts it's very whole tony Mm -hmm. and herman is haunted he can't sleep and then it's because the ghost of the countess appears to him Ooh. okay yes and she basically says the ghost of the countess says to herman you you have to meet lisa and you have to marry her and finally i will tell you the secret of the cards the cards are a three a seven and an ace Hmm. Okay. Okay. And so that is the end of that scene. But I have to tell you that when I saw this scene live in the opera house the other day, the way the ghost of the countess enters in that production, and it's a Elijah Moshinsky production, she like breaks a hole in the floor. So you just hear this woman like, or the something like banging and like wood breaking. And then she like rips a hole in the floor and climbs out of the floor. And there's this red light Dang. underneath her. And I that was the moment where I was like, Elspeth would love this. I'm excited. Let me in. <laughs> yes. Very spry ghost. Right. That took a turn. Yeah. Herm's got the cards. He's got the cards. Uh we are now um on the on the embankment or the like near the river oh, where so he's th- going to the bridge. To the bridge or, okay. he, or a bridge or embankment or near the river where he's supposed to meet Lisa. Okay. Right? When when the curtain rises, Lisa is there and she basically is anxious and worried and she doesn't really know what to think. And she doesn't know if Herm will come and meet her. And then the clock strikes 12 and he's not there. <gasps> and she basically has this huge dramatic aria moment where she's like, he's a monster and he doesn't care for me at all. And like all my worst fears are confirmed. And then he enters after she's had this huge explosive moment of grief. <laughs> and then she's like, oh, I knew it. You couldn't possibly be that horrible. I am yours forever. Everything's going to be okay now. It's going to be fine. And she's like, I knew you couldn't intentionally murder my grandmother. Like, of course, you're not that horrible. And um, and then they start talking. And at first, Herm is like... He's like, everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And there's, and yes, we're together now. And there's this really interesting moment where he basically just like mimics every line that she sings. And so you're like, this guy's not okay. Like there's something off about him. And she's like, she's like, okay, now everything's fine. Um, 
we can be together now. And he's like, yes, you, we have to go. And she's like, go, where are we, where are we going? Where do we have to go? And he's like, we have to go to the gambling house. I know the secret and I'm going to win and we're going to be rich. And, <laughs> and then she's like, you are a monster. I can't believe it. Like, you don't care about me at all. And she's like, don't do this. Don't bring me there. And he's like, but your grandmother, her ghost came to me and showed me these cards. And then Lisa's like, I don't want to be with you. I can't believe you. You don't love me at all. You only ever loved me because of this secret. Um, and she's like, I think you're insane. And he like runs off to the gambling house and leaves her and she throws herself into the river. Uh. All the women with names are dead. Oh, no, there's that Paulina, who I'm assuming is a mezzo. Yes, she's still alive. <laughs> she is alive. <laughs> Yay, mezzo. Small role still alive. <laughs> okay, so Countess is dead. Um, Lisa is dead. Mm-hmm. Now, the final scene, we are in the gambling house. And everyone is assembled. It's like a whole bunch of soldiers. Um, everyone's quite inebriated. And Yaletsky enters. And he kind of admits that he is there because he's so caught up with grief over the loss of Lisa. Mm-hmm. And then Herm arrives and he goes straight to the gambling table. And to everybody's surprise, he actually starts playing. Whoa. Because he's never done this before. Out of character. And, right, he just goes there and watches. But he knows. So he starts playing and then um, he kind of gets into a conversation with the prince and Prince Yaletsky starts playing against him. And everyone's like, this cannot be good. Herm would never do this unless he knew the secret of the cards. Mm-hmm. He plays a few hands and then he stakes his last card against Yaletsky. And Yaletsky like volunteers to take him on for this final round. And he sings this like pseudo mad scene where he's basically saying like, what is life anyway? All of life's a game. And he goes to play his final card, which is the ace, right? And when the Countess's ghost came to him earlier in the scene, she, like, hands him three cards. She hands him those three. And so he goes to play his final card, which he thinks is an ace, so that he can win. And when he turns the card over, it's actually the Queen of Spades. (gasps) And... So there's this super dramatic music and he looks up and then he sees the countess, the ghost of the countess at the gambling table, um, basically like staring right at him. And in some productions, like pointing at him and kind of laughing at him. And then he is so overcome with madness that he stabs himself and falls down dead. And the whole opera ends then with this like weirdly, really beautiful chorus that all the men sing and it's a very like religious sounding kind of like Russian church music where they're kind of like mourning his loss and commending his soul to God and that's how the curtain falls. What? (laughs) Dun 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 Yeah I don't get it. (laughs) So yeah like and this this opera was so popular but I also when I saw it I kind of felt like it's much more disjunct to me than Eugene Onegin, and it doesn't have the same, like, emotional investment that you make in the characters mm-hmm. that draw you in. And so even though I felt really bad for Lisa, I was also like, you made a horrible decision. Like, yeah. this guy's insane, and and you have no reason to really love him that intensely. Yeah, I wonder when the ghost of the Countess appeared, if she was always trying to screw him over. I would guess so. Because he essentially killed her. Yeah. Yeah, because he killed her. Nice. Nice. Yeah. And he didn't even yeah, bother so like to look revenge. at the cards. 
No, I, I think I think there's an element of magic in this where uh, he thinks that he has an ace gotcha. the whole time. And maybe the ace is the final card. Mm-hmm. But through magic, when he turns it over, it's just he loses because it's the queen of spades. Yeah. It is. I didn't right. want to blurt it out um, yes. as you were telling it, but I did have the title of the opera in my head as you were telling that. Yeah. So I imagine everybody that sees the opera probably has it in their head that somehow he's going to get screwed or like this queen of spades is going to have significance. Right. But mm-hmm. it is interesting how it doesn't really make an appearance or isn't mentioned until the very, very end. Like you forget about when it. that is the thing that screws him over, right? But yeah, so you do kind of forget about it until the card is turned over and you're like, oh, right. So Naomi, but... scale of one to 10, would you recommend? I would recommend. I think it was like for me, it was a like between a seven and an eight. It's pretty strong. Um, because it's super entertaining and the singing is huge. Like you need like a huge voice to sing this because the orchestra is really big, and the tenor part, Herm or mm-hmm. Herman, he's actually on stage in every single scene, so it's a huge role for the tenor. Are there any notable Herms? That I'm not sure. I do know that when, like, in terms of, like, our modern performances of it, because it's actually not performed that often, it's, like, relatively unknown, but I do know that when Tchaikovsky wrote it, there was this husband-wife duo of a tenor and soprano that were actively singing um, at the Bolshoi, and he was popular and respected enough as a composer that he could kind of hand-select them as his leading lady and leading man Hmm. so the very first person to ever sing herm was extremely popular and well known and was handpicked for that role and the same thing for for lisa so or lisa but yeah well there you have it folks so so would recommend i would recommend i don't think it's as good as eugene onegin in terms of an opera although many people might disagree with me but it is certainly like dramatic bang for your buck, I can mm-hmm. say. All right. And the music is gorgeous. So check it out. If you have opinions about the Queen of Spades, please let us know. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Uh, you can always email us at any one of our first names at Opera After Dark or info at Opera After Dark if you like that generic thing. Uh, While you're thinking about us, make sure you leave a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. And we'll be back with you next week for another episode of Opera After Dark. Until then, I'm Kyle. I'm Naomi. And I'm Elspeth. Thanks for listening. Bye.